We continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. If you'd make your way to the book of Philippians, but we're just going to be there for a moment. This study through Philippians also supplements our thematic year of being members one of another. In our last study, we finished the first half of the book. That is, we finished chapter 2 with a message about Timothy and Epaphroditus, likely different, very different men in their own right, but both church leaders and both critically important to the Apostle Paul, partners in ministry is what we studied last week, which takes us right, in, right into the second half of Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 1. But today, we only barely nibble on the second half because we just look at the first verse, but only the first half of the first verse. So, if there was ever a time in preaching verse by verse through a Bible book that you could take less, maybe Genesis 1-1, you could spend a while just on the first one, first word, God. <laughs> you could spend a lot of time on that, but uh, today, just one half of the first verse in a message that I've titled, Rejoice in the Lord. And then we'll spend our time in four verses in First Peter uh, chapter 1, Philippians 3 and verse 1a. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. The verb here in Philippians 3.1 is a plural command. It's an imperative, and it's plural for the whole church. That is y'all, or Ewans, or in the King James, rejoice ye in the Lord. That is a command, and it is uh, what we are to follow. Literally, Finally, my... we as the people of God are commanded, not an option. It's not if, when I feel like it. It's not I'll give thought to it. We're commanded to walk in joy. In fact, as you know, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is love, joy. Uh, it is that which will come from our lives. And if it is not, there's a disconnect somewhere because the command is given to not obey a command of the Lord, uh, obviously is sin, to know uh, to do good and do it not is sin. And so let's come to an understanding, a better understanding of what does it mean to rejoice in the Lord. How can one truly, without contri- it being contrived, without trying to put it on, uh, without trying to, uh, to uh, ramp it up uh, or, or fan the flame, how can I actually experience the joy of the Lord day in, day out, all the time, the abundant life in Christ, as John, Ta- John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, eternal life, but also abundant in the here and now. How can I actually experience that? Now, with that thought and that command in Philippians, let's look at 1 Peter uh, for uh, a text that even gets into greater detail. 1 Peter chapter 1, and yet all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. A different, uh, a different uh, apostle at a different time in different circumstances, writing to a different um, body of believers, yet also uh, emphasizing the command to rejoice in the Lord. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in 
verse 6. But pick up the context, I guess, uh, in verse 5. Talking about, uh, in verse 4, the inheritance which is incorruptible, undefiled, doesn't fade away, it's reserved for us. You're kept by the power of God through faith, ready to be revealed in the last time. And verse 6, where we'll start, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold trials, uh, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love, in whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Four particular points, if you're taking notes, I want to bring to our attention from this passage in 1 Peter 1. First of all, there's joy in the anticipation of a new day. Folks, this is not all there is for the child of God. Can I get a witness? This is, not a, this is not heaven. This is not the totality of all there is. There is a new day a coming. In fact, if you'll notice in verse 6, wherein or in this uh, doesn't refer back to salvation or deliverance of verse 5 because of the the Greek grammar. Uh, In fact, it refers to, if you'll notice at the end of verse 5, to reveal in the last time. The word time and the word in this or wherein are both neuter in gender. Uh, Ergo, almost certainly the two of them go together. Therefore, what, uh, what the wherein is referencing or in this it's referencing is the time. That is the time of the Lord bringing all this to consummation. So the rejoicing is to take place in view of or in anticipation of the end time, of the, the time when you're in the presence of the Lord. If, if in fact, you die before that takes place, um, then uh, the rejoicing is in view of that. Folks, the world, the world doesn't have an answer for death. It doesn't have an answer for what is beyond the grave. In fact, 46 and a half years ago, a man who shared the gospel with me uh, shared the gospel uh, and he, uh, he went down the path of, Vic, uh, you're going to face eternity one day, and then what? Uh, I didn't have an answer. I didn't know. I didn't have any assurance. And so fear captured my heart, and he presented the gospel to me, and I was gloriously saved. And so believers now look, hopefully, with a, 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 in an anticipation, in a joyful anticipation to the future. We're not dreading the future. We're not fearful of the future because not only, not only do I not know what tomorrow holds, I know who holds tomorrow, amen? So I can anticipate that joyfully. That is what the first part of verse 6 is telling me. Because you have that hope in you, you can greatly rejoice. You can greatly rejoice. You must be great. And so, folks, if there's something uh, in your soul uh, today uh, which is dragging you down, uh, which is causing, tempting you to worry, to fret, to be bitter, to be angry, to be sorrowful, to be depressed, and all the rest, and that's not saying that those uh, items that have generated that are false. 
They very well may be real. You actually may be dying of cancer. You actually may face a job loss. You really might have a, a, a grandchild who is breaking your heart and a zillion other scenarios. In that, that's not discounting those things. It's in the anticipation of a day, a new day for all eternity with the Lord. Joy should characterize that your, your current uh, state of affairs, if you will. In the context of the kingdom, I like what, I, I like what Isaiah 35.10 tells us. It says, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Of course, that day has not come. You all have known me to have times in my life, and still do, to be gripped with sorrow, to be filled with sorrow. And yet, in the midst of that, an un, un, a non-understandable joy. It is sufficient grace, which is beyond description. In fact, this text uh, talks about that in just a moment. I like what MacArthur wrote on this subject. He said, mere happiness comes from positive external events. I, I get a raise uh, at, at my job. I, uh, something else uh, positive is going on. But salvation joy results from the deep-rooted confidence that one possesses eternal life from the living God through the crucified and risen Christ. In light of that, don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. In light of being in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. So whatever you're facing today, however difficult it is, if you will be reminded from the Apostle Peter that in this, that is in the time when you are with the Lord, you can rejoice because there is joy in the anticipation of a new day. Secondly, in our text, the end of verse 6 and verse 7, there's joy in the authentication of genuine faith. Notice at the end of verse 6, you rejoice now for a season, if need be, heavy, you're in heaviness through many trials, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. The way you know, the way that you know that your faith is genuine is when it is tested. If it were never tested, if you never tested uh, the, uh, the third grader, I'm not sure what grade uh, children start learning um, multiplication tables, but uh, so probably somewhere, maybe second grade, maybe uh, fourth grade, I don't know when it is. But whenever it is, uh, you, you don't know that that child really has it until you spontaneously, like grandpa does, say, grandson, what is nine times 12? Just no context, no, and then very quickly, is it 108? <laughs> did one of the kids say it before I did? Okay, what one of the, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, I thought I heard somebody, uh, somebody say that. You don't know uh, that you've got it until it's tested. You don't know that that chair is going to hold you up until you sit down in it. It's that kind of an idea. And so, there is joy when my faith is authenticated. When I persevere in the Lord, when tested, that says, ah, there's something real there. There's something genuine there. In fact, 
Notice in verse 7, no, in verse 6, if need be, that is, trials will come from time to time in order to purify one's faith. It's plucking off of the sucker branches on the fruit tree. If you let the sucker branches just go run wild, they're going to take all the nutrients and the fruit will not have enough, a sufficient amount. So you must prune, i.e. John 15, you must prune that tree in order to get good fruit and more fruit. Well, the believer is to be tempted, check that, the believer is to be tested in the refiner's fire which, by the way, is not comfortable. Most people don't. Well, Daniel did not say, uh, oh, I, yeah, I really want to go into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not say, oh, I'm, I'm longing to go uh, into the fiery furnace. Yet, in faith, they did, uh, and their faith was tested, and there was joy in that it was authenticated. Notice also, the trials are only for a season. In fact, 2 Corinthians says uh, they are momentary light afflictions. When you're widowed, been there, done that. It's a momentary light affliction. You say, no, uh, it's gone on and on. My heart has been heavy uh, ever since, and it's anything but light. In light of eternity, it's momentary and light. That We're to set our affection on things above. If we make right now the focus. Well, of course there's no victory there. There's no joy there because there really is pain. Uh, There really is separation. There really is financial hardship. Uh, There really is relational um, catastrophes. But that is not what our focus is to be. Not if joy is what is desired for the glory of God. He is to be our focus. Eternity is to be our focus. And when my faith is tested, Then I come forth as gold, as Job um, 23, I believe, says. I like what Warren Wiersbe wrote on this. He said, when God permits his children to go through the furnace, and you, you, you just put down what that furnace is for you. He keeps his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. If we rebel, he may need to reset the clock. He may turn up the thermostat possibly. But if we submit, he will not permit us to suffer one minute too long a faith that cannot be tested, cannot be trusted. Now, folks, take joy in that. If your faith is being tested, that is good. Uh, That is cause for rejoicing. Because when you come out stronger, holding more tenaciously to the Lord, in that trial, that's cause for rejoicing. Uh, It's genuine. It's real. It It will stand the test. It will survive the fire of my life. And it will reveal even more pure, precious metal. Notice the authentication of genuine faith produces, at the end of verse 7, praise and honor and glory. It's not that the test itself exalts God. It's not the miscarriage that exalts God. It's not the job uh, being, being laid off at work. It's not uh, the, uh, you name whatever the anguish is of soul, and probably every one of us has something on our hearts that, to which we can appoint. That is not the honor and glory. It is as I persevere in the midst of that, that honor and glory and praise lists to the Lord. My faith is authenticated. Joy fills my heart. <clears throat> 
Have you ever done something as a believer that you knew was against the will of God? Have you ever not done something as a believer that you knew it was the will of God for you to do? Only me? (laughs) You've been there, done that, right? And you know the sense of, of even disappointment you have with self, the sense of being disheartened uh, and all, even ashamed or embarrassed. When my faith is tested and I hold on to God through the midst of that fiery furnace in the, in the center of that lion's den and come out on the other side praising him and trusting him, it's the polar opposite of that. Joy floods one's soul in doing that in fact that's i alluded to it job uh didn't wasn't didn't glorify god through his loss he glorified god when he passed the test in those beginning chapters of the book of job folks a lot of times we, we need to understand romans eight twenty eight does not say oh i understand how all things work together for good it doesn't say that nor does it say, I see how this is all going to play out. No, you very well may not see. You might be saying and thinking to yourself, God, what is this? Where in the world are you taking me in this? Not in a challenging way, but truly in a way of being perplexed. You can't see uh, exactly how it's going to play out. Trish, give me the answer to this. She didn't know I was going to do this. When you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. I knew she'd come up with that answer. We didn't rehearse that. When you can't trace his hand, you trust his heart. Because you know God is all good and all wise. He is not going to hurt his child. You will be pruned. You will be tested. Joy. Weeping. Say it with me, church. Weeping endures for a night. Joy comes in the morning. Now, either that's true or it's not. Your faith will be tested. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good. We know because we know God. He's all good and all wise. Therefore, he has good planned for me. Now, notice in verse 7, it reminds us of the value. When faith is authenticated, it's greater than the value of gold. It exceeds the gold standard. Now, how can that be? How can, that, how can my trial, my testing, be more valuable than gold? Because gold, you can't take it with you. Uh, gold, uh, you, you can't buy a soul. You can't uh, impress someone else. You certainly can't impress the Lord uh, uh, or cause God to, uh, to bless your life simply because of being financially rich. It, it means nothing in the spiritual realm. But tested, proven, authenticated faith means everything. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. Thirdly, we see in verse 8, there's joy in the appropriation of sufficient grace. To appropriate is to lay hold of something. And notice in verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. In whom, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable, full of glory. It's laying hold of the grace of God, experiencing the grace of God in the midst 
of the trial. Now, how do you lay hold of the grace of God so as to experience joy? You do it the same way when you got saved. You believe. You say, yes, Lord Jesus, save me. Come into my life. I receive you. I accept what you did uh, on, uh, for me at the cross, and I accept your gift of eternal life. Folks, I was just like C.S. Lewis. I'm telling you, I did not know this. Uh, I didn't, I don't, I'm not saying this because I planned it ahead of time, knowing 46 years later I'd be preaching this. When I got saved, I was surprised by joy. I didn't know my heart would just explode with joy and peace and, and fullness and, and satisfaction in him for the first time in my life. And so, the grace of God, when you appropriate it, then joy will flood the soul. Believers at this church are like those receiving this letter from the Apostle Peter. Peter walked with Jesus for three years full time. But the readers, and this is how we're like them, the readers of this letter had not physically seen Jesus. Though you see him not, you love him. Verse 8 is filled with the uh, double dynamic of what it means to be a believer. You believed in him, though you've not seen him, and you love him as your very own Savior, Lord, best friend, comforter, and the like. Um, That is having received the grace of God by faith. And so it's faith in the written word of God concerning the gospel and it's love for the living word of God namely the Lord Jesus because of his grace wonderful grace of Jesus say the next line greater than all my sin he knows everything I've done what I've thought and loves me infinitely and everlastingly it's because of appropriating the grace of God by faith in fact Hebrews and I alluded to it 11 6 says but without faith it's impossible to please him for he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him and so the response for a believer in trial is at the end of verse 8 you're filled and you rejoice with joy unspeakable. The word uh, uh, means above the voice, higher than speech. It's more than I can say. Uh, I have a glory fit because it's more than I can express. Folks, the joy of the Lord is unspeakable in that it's beyond vocabulary. It's beyond our capacity and our ability to speak out. I've said before, and you all know uh, this to be true. I hold back during the song service. You say, no, you don't. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I want to let it rip. <laughs> but I don't because I have to save the voice. See, I, I care so much for you people. <laughs> I, I, have to, I have to save the vocal cords. But in my heart, deep in my soul, there is rejoicing going on all during the time because of the grace of God. Full of praise. In the midst of a trial, you cry out to the Lord in faith 
and you receive grace sufficient for the need. And his joy then refills your heart. Fourthly, and finally, verse 9. There's joy in the application of trusting God. And, and this is where the rubber meets the road. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation, the deliverance of your souls. And I'm not so sure that, that that's talking about heaven uh, as much as it is victory in the trial because it's the deliverance of your soul, that is, your mind, your will, your emotions. And the Spirit of God told Peter to tell those believers who suffer that <clears throat> rejoicing in the Lord is really the, it's the final statement of not my will but yours. Whatever you have for me, God, in your problem, and that's not fatalism. Uh, that's not saying, oh, God's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, what, what do I need to, no, it's not fatalism. Uh, it is biblical trust that, that you say, I can, I can trust God to do what is absolutely best. You know when we're in heaven, think about the worst experience you've had in life. A loss of a loved one, uh, some kind of a betrayal, whatever it might be, personal disease. When you are in heaven, not one of us will go up to the Lord say, God, I want to quiz you about your wisdom in, in that trial. Can you imagine? Of course that won't happen. We'll say, aha, now I get it fully. And uh, we are anticipating that we, uh, there, there's joy as I apply that truth to my life. You know, I, I mentioned Spurgeon earlier. I knew I had him on my mind. I'll quote him. He says, little faith, where am I? Little faith will take your soul, uh, just see a uh, size of a mustard seed, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Now that is good. When you say, Lord, you're not only all I have, you're all I need for this trial. We go back and we, we're reminded of Philippians 3.1a, the command to the church, rejoice in the Lord. And this final verse basically says that I can, yea, that I should obtain moment-by-moment moment deliverance to soothe my aching soul. You know, uh, I've contemplated. You all know of my losses in life. But I've not experienced some losses that you have experienced. I won't name them. Uh, I, I, almost, I almost feel like if I name them out loud... I have a little bit of, a, uh, of an aversion that um, the devil will hear and test me, tempt me in that way. And yet I don't believe in the boogeyman. You, you, do you appreciate the weakness there? Um, no, I'm not going to say it. Because I, don't, I, I haven't owned it yet in my own heart. But I've not experienced what some of you all have experienced. I really haven't. I, it's as foreign to me as anything. And so while I'm preaching this, I'm preaching it from history. Having seen the grace of God 
be abundant and persevering faith producing joy. But tomorrow I may face a loss and an ache that you have already faced. And I'm going to need you to be 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 in my life, i.e., the grace of God you experienced and were comforted by, God will use in somebody else's life who's not walked down that path. So I don't mean to make it out like I have suffered any great amount because there are areas of life where I have not. I'll I'll give you one. I'll give you one. Some of you have had personal, individual health crises, multiple ones. I mean, an Achilles tendon, that's, that's hardly a crisis. Kept me off the tennis court for seven months, that's a crisis. But, but our, one of your deacons caused it to happen. Ed Hudson beaten me to death for 30 years on the tennis court. I have enjoyed unbelievable good health. I had my physical this last week, uh, and they did every kind of blood work under the sun. The doctor all but said, there's nothing I can do for you to improve your health. It is stellar. And I say that in amazement because there's no glory in me. I cannot keep myself from getting cancer. I can't keep myself from having whatever affliction you have had. When that happens to me, and history says it will, like with Mark's twin brother, no rhyme or reason for that. Who, where is it written that this person is going to get ALS and this person isn't? When that happens, I want you to be there to remind me of 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9, that the trying of your faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. I'll need to be reminded of that then. As I'm reminding all of us now, and Peter told us 2,000 years ago, did, did you follow that rabbit trail? We're members one of another. We need one another. Beloved, rejoice in...